Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. I know as we get to this time of year, we start thinking about the ticking over from December 31st to January 1st and a new year and there's something that happens inside of us that goes, okay, new year, new start. Really, it's just I go to bed one day and wake up the next, but there's power in that changeover of days and that changeover of years. And I think we often become future-oriented. We think about what's coming. But I invite you this morning to take a moment to reflect back on the year and ask yourself some questions. How have I grown in 2023? through whatever life has thrown at me, whatever experience I've gone through, the highs and the lows, how have I matured? What, what things have I learned? What new things have I learned in 2023? What have I learned about God? What have I learned about myself? And in particular, my relationship with Him? What have I learned about myself in the different roles that I play, in the different functions I play for me as father, as husband, as son, as pastor, as friend? As you think about it, like right now, do it right now. Think, okay, what, what have I learned in 2023? How have I been transformed? As I uh, thought about that, I, I, I thought about a whole range of conversations I've had with different people in this community over the year. And I know that for many, this has been a tough year. There, there's been things that have happened this year that you can't control that have happened to you that have caused deep pain. There's been loss, loss of loved ones. There's been the grief of broken relationships. There's been challenges with kids. There's been challenges with parents. There's been trials. There's been a whole lot of frustrations and financial concerns, family breakdowns. But even through those things, the question I would love to pose this morning is how have I grown? There's been great high points too. There's been people coming to faith. There's been a whole stack of baptisms. This year across our church, we've never baptised more people in our 95 year history. We've never baptised more people in a calendar year than we have this year, 135. 16 of those have been here at Gateway Redlands. So as a percentage, our campus is in front. We'll remove that from the recording later. Actually, I don't think we are. I think Logan have us by a But we're all one church and we celebrate together. It's not a competition. If it was, we'd be doing pretty well. Anyway, moving on. As you think about your 2023, the highs and the lows, in large or small ways, how has God transformed you? I mean, when you think about Christmas and you think about, it's become a huge moment in history. Like the moment of Jesus' birth has become a massive moment massive event that overwhelms a lot of the world at this time of year. But when it happened, it was really under the radar. It was just another baby born in relative poverty in the middle of nowhere. There was nothing super significant about it except for a few people who saw angels in the sky and saw a star shining. But relative, it was relatively quiet and relatively under the radar. And yet that moment when God entered humanity, it started the complete transformation of the world. And in between his birth 
his death and his resurrection. And between the time when he comes again, he is all about the transformation of the world. And whatever your, whatever your view of Jesus is as you sit here this morning, whatever you think of him, whatever you think that he is or that he isn't, you can't deny that Jesus has, has had a massive impact on the world. Whether you believe in spiritual things, angels and demons and all that sort of stuff, if, whatever you believe in, if you just look at the world practically, the things that have been done in the name of Jesus have transformed the world. A lot of those things are good, really, really good things, like hospitals in Kitkum, Uganda. A lot of those things, not so good. But whatever they are, things that have been done in the name of Jesus have, have had a transforming effect on the world. And he's in the business too of transforming you and me. As much as he looks globally, he also looks personally. And he's all about the transformation of you. There is the transformation that we have in this miraculous new birth moment when we put our trust in Jesus for the first time. This is that death to life transformation. This is darkness to light transformation in that moment of what we call conversion. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And maybe you can remember that moment for you. I can remember it for me. I'm gonna tell you a little bit about it in a second. We have that moment of transformation, of a miraculous, supernatural, God-initiated, God-ordained transformation. But then from that moment to the moment that we see Jesus face to face, there is an ongoing transformation. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are not perfect. And you still need to be transformed. Yeah. Some of you enjoyed that too much. You said the pastor told me to say it. He agrees with me. Anyway, that's the, that's the transformation I wanna talk about today. That slow but steady transformation that maturity into Christ that we live each day as, as we go through life, like this year, 2023, through the ups and downs, the transformation that is happening as the Spirit of God works in us to make us more and more like Jesus. And more than that, I want us to also think about as we are personally transformed, it's not all about us. It's not all about me. We live in a world that says it is, and so our Christianity sometimes becomes very personal and very private but God doesn't want your faith to be private. God wants you, what He's doing in you to have a transforming effect on the world that, in which you inhabit, the parts of the world that you inhabit. So our personal transformation, as He does that, He invites us in to that transforming work that He's doing, He's been doing since He rose again and since He'll come back again. He invites you and me into that, that we would look beyond ourselves and have a transforming influence on the world around us. He transforms us and then He transforms the world through us. This is the wonder of transformation. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank You. There, is, there aren't words to express how the way that You, has tra you have transformed the world and tra are transforming us, how thankful we are for that. God, we thank You that You gave us sight when we were blind. We thank you that you found us when we were lost. We thank you that you gave us life when we were spiritually dead. And you've raised us up. You've given us so much more than we deserve. You've raised us up and seated us with yourself in heaven. We are new creatures in you. 
we have new life in you. We thank you, Jesus, that patiently and yet certainly you are transforming us day by day, moment by moment, to make us mature in Christ, to make us like you, Jesus. And as we reflect today on a year that's been as we, and as we look to a year that's coming, help us to posture ourselves and to position ourselves for you to do your transforming work in a way that we partner with you and don't work against you. So open our eyes today. Help us to see the veil that we've put between you and us and help us to see your glory that you might continue to transform us to make us more like Jesus. And as you do that, that you would transform the world around us as you're transforming us. Come Holy Spirit, speak to us, challenge us, rebuke us, encourage us today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever wondered what happened to some of the people in the Bible who have, we have this record of their encounter with Jesus, but then we hear nothing else? Do you ever wonder what happened to them? Like I think of someone like the woman at the well, right? Incredible encounter with Jesus. She's there and she's chatting away with him and he starts to say, well, actually you've had five husbands and the one you're living with now is not really your husband. But rather than walking away feeling really judged and rejected, she experiences this love from Jesus and goes back and says to her entire village, come and meet the man who told me everything about myself. She was transformed in that moment. But do you wonder what happened with her life after that? Like, which man did she end up with? Did, did she continue to struggle a little bit with finding her identity in men other than Jesus? Was there, was there this ongoing wrestle in her where she continued to understand more of the life that Jesus wanted her to have? What about the leper? That one leper out of the 10 that came back and thanked Jesus when none of the others did. He was healed. His life was transformed in that moment. But as he continued to live, like, did he, did he, did he ever get a headache again? Did he, did he get a cold? Did he get a bit crook? You know, or, or was, there, was there phases of his life where he sort of reverted back into feeling like an outcast? He didn't really embrace daily that identity that Jesus had given him. What about Lazarus? Talk about transformation. He's dead and buried and Jesus brings him back to life. What, 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 is he still wandering around the Middle East somewhere, still alive? Now, he would have died again. We know that for sure. But what was his life like after that? He had two sisters who were really opposite and I've got two sisters who are really opposite and I find that a struggle. Erase that from the recording as well. Not that my sisters listen to my sermons, I'm sure. Anyway, Lazarus had two sisters. Did he continue to struggle with frustrations with them? Or did his transformation make him perfect from that point on? I don't think that it did. These people, and when we read the letters from Paul, I think we can safely assume that these people, even though they had this encounter with Jesus that was transformational in a moment, based on what Paul writes to churches, and those people would have been part, you know, members of the churches that Paul and Peter write to, there is this ongoing transformation that should happen in each of us and that happened in each of them as they continue to grow and understand more of who Jesus is and the life that he wants for them and he wants for us. I think sometimes we confuse transformation with encounter. I think sometimes we pursue encounter thinking that if I could just get in that moment where God's gonna go bang, 
then I'll be transformed and I won't struggle with the things that I struggle anymore. I'm waiting for that moment of full deliverance from my sin and full deliverance from my struggles. And when that moment comes, hallelujah, praise God, I'm gonna be a new creation. It's gonna all happen. I'm not gonna struggle anymore. I know that as I stand on this pulpit, I pray to preach sermons that would have that effect on you. We pray that we have worship services where as Matt Gillum is leading worship, the Spirit comes and we are all transformed in a moment and all our struggles are gone. But it seems to me that that is not God's default way of working. I love encounter. I think you'd love encounter too. It can be a bit scary, but generally we, lo- generally we love encounter. But encounter doesn't always ensure transformation. Think of the Israelites as they're wandering around having escaped from slavery in Egypt, they've just walked through the flippin' Red Sea that's been parted. Talk about encounter with the power of God. Two days later, they're whinging and wanna go back to Egypt. Their encounter did not ensure their transformation. There wasn't, a 48, there wasn't even a 48 hour period of worship and praise that followed this incredible encounter. Think about Peter. Peter had so many encounters with Jesus like almost daily, these encounters with Jesus where he was, you'd think he's transformed. And then when the, when the crunch comes, he denies Jesus. And then he has another encounter on the beach with Jesus where Jesus says, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Yes, yes, yes. Then after that, Peter has another encounter where the Holy Spirit comes, falls upon him and his mates, and he gets up and preaches the very first gospel message and sees thousands of people come to faith. Talk about encounter. And Peter still struggled to eat with filthy Gentiles like you and me in spite of those encounters. If Peter needs it, if the Israelites need it, don't you and I need this ongoing slow but steady transformation that we can't confuse with encounter? Because as we know, none of us are perfect. I think of my own transformation. I don't have to look further beyond myself than to see this is a reality. And I find it strangely comforting that I'm a work in progress. And that despite the encounters I've had with Jesus, he still remains patient with me in his transformation of me. I remember that moment of conversion for me. I was sitting on the veranda as a 19 year old and my mum had had this encounter with Jesus and she was sharing with me about it. And I had a girlfriend at the time who got bored and checked out of the conversation about a quarter of the way through, but I was absolutely enamored as she talked about the gospel. I'm like, this is it, this is truth. This is the light, this is exactly, this makes sense of every question I've ever had. I had this incredible transformation and probably the next week and I was out as a student getting cheap drinks and writing myself off before going to church the next morning. And that pattern probably continued for about 18 months. I remember the day of my baptism, when I got baptised, I woke up in the morning at somebody else's house with a headache. You do the maths. I drove home at about 6 a.m. I walked into my mum's room. I collapsed on the floor in, a, in, a, in, the, in the fetal position, bawling my eyes out saying, I am not worthy. What a fraud I am. I'm going to get baptised after that. And my auntie, bless her soul, she came over and she got down on the floor with me and said to me, you need to get up and you need to get baptised today because you need to know the grace of Jesus. This is the spirit at work in you now get up, get baptised, young man. 
I became from that pretty much that point forward completely immersed in church world. Completely immersed in church world. I mean, I went as far as you can go. I became a pastor. <laughs> but as I did that, all of those friends that I would be out with on those weekends, I completely turned my back on. I became so immersed in church world that I cut off all of my friendships with all these people I'd gone to school with and gone through life with, and they were good, loving people. But I turned my back on them. I, I quit on them. I was a work in progress. God was transforming me, and it was a slow but steady process. If I think of it today though, if I think as I stand here as a 44, almost 45 year old, and I think about 19 year old Sam back then, the transformation is huge. More than that, I think if I hadn't had those moments of encounter, particularly when I was 19 and Jesus hadn't called me, if I think about who I would be standing here as a 44 year old, well, I wouldn't be standing here as a 44 year old, I'd be standing somewhere else the difference between that Sam and this Sam is poles apart because of the grace of God. I like watching, this is like watching my children grow up day by day. I don't perceive the change. It's when we go and see someone we haven't seen for a couple of years and they go, oh my, how they've grown. This is how transformation works. It's a slow and steady process. Sometimes I wonder if it's even happening at all. So as we read Paul's letters, we see instruction in there and, and we see him encouraging and writing to Christians like us, talking to us about our transformation, talking to us about how we can posture ourselves, how we can position ourselves to continue to grow personally, but through that growth personally to impact the world and partner with God in his transformation of the world. And where I wanna go this morning as we think about transformation is to suggest there are four, at least four ways that we are transformed, that as we think about those four ways we are transformed, as we round the corner into a new year, we can position ourselves and posture ourselves to be transformed by God, to partner with Him, to have this beautiful synergy with Him where we are open and He works to bring transformation. So here, here it is, four ways. The first way, we are transformed as we change the way we think. We are transformed as we change the way we think. Paul says just this in Romans 12. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Isn't that interesting? Transformation by the renewing of our mind. Not transformation by a spiritual experience. As much as God wants that for us, like an in the moment encounter where we are taken to another place, like some of the experiences that I know many in the room have had and I've had too, that's not where Paul goes when he talks about transformation. He goes to the mind. Change the way you think. That's how you're transformed. He spends 11 chapters of Romans outlining the gospel, talking about the incredible thing that God has done. 11 chapters, well, he didn't write 11 chapters. Later on, someone came and put chapters and verses next to it. But he spends a big chunk of time writing to the church in Rome about the gospel. And then he says, therefore... Therefore, offer your bodies as living sacrifices to God. And then the next thing he says is, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me read it to you from a couple of translations. This is from the New Testament for everybody. So, my dear family, there it is. So, therefore, this is my, this is my appeal to you by the mercies of God. 
Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That's what properly thought out worship looks like. What's more, don't let yourselves be squeezed into the shape dictated by the present age. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can work out what God's will is, what is good, acceptable and complete. It's really clear here, Paul's saying there is a way that the world thinks. There is a way that the world thinks. We need to be aware of that. We need to be conscious of that. We need to think about that and then go, well, how is that different from the way God wants me to think? And think that way. We are transformed by the way we think. Here's the translation from the message. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become, become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognise what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. That's what we desire, well-formed maturity. How do we get there? We change the way we think. We become critical thinkers. I'm aware of how I think like the world does. And I wanna stop that and embrace more of the way God thinks. Ephesians 5.10, this is, this is such a great instruction. Simply this, find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases Jesus. It even rhymes, it's really easy to remember. Find out what pleases Jesus and do that. Think, okay, what, what is it today? As I go to work, as I go to Christmas parties, as I do all this stuff, what is it that will please Jesus about the way that I act today? That's what I want to do. How do we do it? We, we land back at these things that becomes, have become so cliche and almost a, a little bit shallow, maybe. It's not real deep teaching. You know, the best way to figure it out, read the Bible. It's a pretty good start, pretty good end too. Get the mind of God from His Word. Think about what it says Think about how it's different from the world. Think about how it speaks to your context and then go and do that. Think and then do. So the begging question is before us in light of this point, what are you filling your mind with? What are you filling your mind with? If transformation happens as our minds are renewed, as Paul suggests, and Paul suggests we're not passive in this process. We are active in this process. It doesn't just happen. What we put before our minds, Netflix, Facebook, sport, money, real estate, career, not bad things. But if that's what we're filling our mind with, the transformation that Paul is talking about is going to be very, very stunted. What we think about transforms us. You know, in, in 1 Corinthians 2.16, Paul talks about a gift that you and I have been given. He calls it the mind of Christ. By the Spirit, you have been given the mind of Christ. How much are you tapping into that? How much are you 
thinking about that? How much are you feeding that through reading scripture, praying, asking Jesus to expand the mind of Christ? But engaging our minds, focusing on the words, the works, the ways of Jesus and his kingdom is not the end of transformation. It doesn't just live in the mind. I think some of us would like that to be the case, but knowledge and belief is not the end of transformation. As we change the way we think, the second way we are transformed is like an expansion. We are transformed. This is my second way that we are transformed. We are transformed as we behold the glory of Jesus. And as we behold the glory of Jesus, this is far bigger than our minds. This starts to engage our hearts and our souls. It engages our attention. It engages our affections, our emotions as we behold the glory of Jesus. Paul in 2 Corinthians, he's writing about how Jesus removes the barrier that's between us and God. And to talk about this, he he writes about Moses. And some of you might know the story. I'll tell as quickly as I can. Moses has this encounter with God where he asks to see God's face. And God says, Moses, if you saw my face, you'd drop dead. That's how glorious God is. If you saw my face, that would be the end of you. Like no one wants that sort of encounter. So Moses is is hidden in the cleft of a rock and God passes behind him. And still in that moment, Moses has this transformation. When he comes back down off the mountain, he's glowing and everyone's like, what happened to you? What Paul writes about here, I, I can't get passionate enough to communicate to you what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying in this passage, the barrier that was between Moses and God does not exist for those of you who are in Christ. There is no veil. There is no barrier. We can fully behold the glory of Jesus, the glory of God, when we put our trust in Jesus. We are so stimulated by so many other things, this has lost its impact and I can't get passionate enough. I'm trying to speak to myself here, Sam, you idiot. Why do you fill your mind with this other stuff when you can fully behold the glory of Jesus? There is no veil, it's been removed. He writes, Paul writes, and we all, all of us, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Spirit is doing this work in us as we behold the glory of Jesus. That glory transfers to us and we are transformed to become more like Him. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. It would help us to understand what Paul's talking about by contrasting it with something he goes on to write later on in 2 Corinthians chapter four. He writes here, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For people who have not put their trust in Jesus, this sounds ridiculous. We're foolish to think that we can know God. Paul speaks to that. He goes on to say, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light to shine in our hearts and give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Let me tell you, if you know Jesus, if you trust in him, the light of the glory of God that put Moses into a cleft of a rock is shining in your heart right now. That's the glory that would have killed Moses in a moment. 
that glory is shining in us and it's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves to glorify Jesus. I wonder if you'd ask him to do it today. Come Holy Spirit and glorify Jesus. Jesus himself said, the Holy Spirit will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what to make known to you right now. Could this be a moment where he is making known to you the glory of Jesus? I love what John Piper says. The Spirit renews the mind. It is first and decisively his work. We are radically dependent on him. Our efforts follow his initiatives and enablings. And maybe the Spirit right now is just pressing you a little bit. Open up to this. Don't fear this. I wanna glorify Jesus in your mind. I wanna glorify Jesus in a way that captures your attention and affection. John Piper goes on to talk about how the Spirit works from both the outside in and the inside out. He works from the outside in, in what we take in. As I read Scripture to you, as we sing worship, there's things that we're doing that we're hoping the Spirit is working from the outside in to glorify Jesus. What we read, what we hear, what we witness. But then the Spirit also works from the inside out. And so for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, the Spirit lives in us and He's working very graciously and very politely. In other words, he, He'll stop if you, don't, if you want Him to. But he's, He wants to soften our hearts and break our hard hearts to glorify Jesus in us. He knows and, and we know that there's a force at work in the human heart that we are largely ignorant of that has the most power to transform us whether we focus on Jesus or not. And it's this, we are made to worship. We are made to give attention and affection to something. And we find a whole lot of things to do that too. To the degree that, this is, this is one to write in your notebooks or, or take a photo of on the screen, you are what you love. Another way to say it is, you become what you behold. So whatever it is, you take your affection and your attention what all your resources go to, what, what you sacrifice to have, what you give honour to, that is the thing that you worship, that is the thing that you focus on and that is what you will become. You are what you love. And so this then speaks to our habits and our, the rhythms of our life. What are we giving our attention to? What are we giving our affection to? What are we looking at? What are we putting before our eyes? What are we allowing into our minds and then giving our affection and attention to because that thing is what we will become. I know this to be so personally true. This year, 2023, as I look back on it, there's, there's been a habit that I've developed that has been brilliant for me to behold the glory of Jesus. It involves walking, listening, reading and praying. I've been setting my alarm for 5 a.m., dragging myself out of bed, splashing cold water in my face, which works really well in winter, not so well in the, in the warmer months. I put my shoes on, I do it. I just try and do it by habit because there's a voice screaming within me, go back to bed. I get up and I walk around our estate. Our estate is beautiful. It's just been beautifully designed. I walk around man-made lakes and through the forest and all that sort of thing. And as I'm doing it, I'm listening to the Bible being read in my ears and guided through prayers and all that sort of thing. And then when that runs out, because it runs out about a third of the way through my walk, I start listening 
to some preachers who I know love Jesus and preach the Word of God powerfully and I start listening to that. Every now and again it'll be worship, every now and again it'll be nothing. I'm just silent. I get back home, I make myself a cup of coffee, I sit down and I read the Bible. Whatever reading plan or whatever I'm working through, I read the Bible and then I have these prayer cards and on each card is a different thing I'm praying for. Each of my kids is on one of, a prayer card each. My wife's on a prayer card. You as a church are on one of the prayer cards and I just cycle through those. On oh, there's some written prayers, all that sort of stuff. This is being transformational. I'm positioning myself, I'm posturing myself for transformation and can I tell you, I know how powerful this is because about two or three weeks ago, I stopped doing it because of the pressures of this time of year. The other morning, I got out of bed at five to 10. And I've stopped doing it and I can feel the halt. I can feel the stop. I can feel the lack of growth because I'm not doing this anymore. But this is my attempt to position and posture myself to behold the glory of Jesus in nature as His words read, as His words proclaimed and preached. I love this quote from James K.A. Smith. Discipleship is more a matter of hungering and thirsting than of knowing and believing. Jesus' command to follow Him is a command to align our loves and longings with His, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all and when He is all in all. A vision encapsulated by the shorthand, the kingdom of God. James Smith wrote that in a book called You Are What You Love. And it's a book about the power of habit, the power of what we put before ourselves because as the title says, we are what we love. We become what we behold. I said to the team uh, before, my second point was longer than all the other three points combined. So I hope that's true. I'm coming up to point three, but let me remind you, we are transformed as we focus our mind, our attention and our affection upon Jesus. Thirdly, we are transformed through suffering. We are transformed through suffering. Paul in Romans again says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul talks there about our transformation as we suffer. This firmly runs against the flow of our culture that says the good life is the trouble-free life. Jesus says, no, even in suffering, it's almost as if suffering creates this context for transformation to be exponential. Not that we invite suffering into our lives or that we pray, God, bring trial and suffering. But we know when it comes and it will come. And some of you know this because of the year you've had. When suffering comes, there is this environment in which we can be transformed to become so much more like Jesus in a way that good times can't do. So often our prayers during suffering is, God, get me out of this. What if we shifted our prayers in suffering to go, God, what do you want to teach me through this? Jesus transformed the world through his own suffering 
And that's a pattern that he invites us to follow. James writes, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, continue to be transformed so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Jesus, Jesus prayed like we often do for, for, to be removed from suffering. He prayed it in the garden. God, if it's possible, take this from me. But then he prayed, your will, not mine, be done. And if you wanna be transformed in suffering, I know for many of you, suffering hasn't passed yet. You're in the thick of it. You're in the thick of it. Can I encourage you and really put courage into you to pray, Jesus, I don't want this. I wish it hadn't come. I wish it would go quickly. But while I'm in it, your will, not mine. What do you wanna teach me? What can I learn about you and about myself in this unique time that I wouldn't have learned otherwise? I want maturity. Help me to fix my mind on you as I suffer. Give, give me that joy that James wrote about. This is the brother of Jesus. Give me the joy that he wrote about so that my affection and my attention can be focused on you even as I suffer. We are transformed as we suffer. And finally, fourth point, we are transformed in community. We are transformed in community. Paul again in Colossians 3, verses 15 to 17 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Paul is speaking to our maturity, our maturing process. He's speaking to our transformation. And what he's talking about here is how he gave us this. He gave, not, not this as a time to gather, but these people to be with, to do life with to encourage each other, not just for me to teach you, but for us to teach each other, to sing to each other, to encourage one another, particularly through suffering, we carry one another. And as we do that, as we fully dive in the deep end of community, our transformation is accelerated. You cannot, you cannot experience full transformation outside of community. There is a beautiful thing that can happen in solitude. Some of my best times of encounter, I talked about it before, I'm on my own when I go walking. Some of my greatest times of encounter and transformation are in solitude. But the best and most transformative parts of my life have been in the context of community. That's God's plan for us. Whether you're right off the scale as an introvert, I'm sorry but even your transformation will happen best in community. It's the wonder, the wonder of how God works. Our maturity will be stunted if we pursue independence and isolation. And I know how tough community can be. I know the pull of sitting at home by myself with the cricket on and the air conditioning on full 
and not engaging with other people. I am an introvert. I do enjoy those times. But as I read Scripture genuinely and faithfully, I can see that God's overwhelming message is you need others. You can't grow outside of community. I love that there are so many people in this community in life groups. I love my life group. We had a breakup last week and I absolutely love the people who are in my life group. And I wanna encourage you, if you're not in a life group, this is the best way to dive in the deep end of community. There's an appeal, you know, there's an appeal every few weeks here for those who constantly get the tap on the shoulder to lead and host a life group. Maybe 2024 is your year. But there are others, all the excuses in the world to not be in a life group. Can I tell you, your growth, your maturity, your transformation is dependent upon you being in community with others. And the best way to be in community with others is in a life group. The second best way is to be here on Sunday. The first best way though is to connect with others in a life group, investing deeply in Christian community. And not just for yourself, by the way, and more importantly, this is not just an investment in self, but as you dive into community, God will use you to help see others mature. And as followers of Jesus, that should actually be the primary driver to love and support others and not just for what we can get out of it ourselves. So Jesus transformed the world by entering into it and He transforms us as He enters into us and He begins that beautiful and patient process of our transformation. Let me tell you, Jesus' heart for you is that you would live an abundant life that is not dependent upon material possessions, but is dependent upon a relationship with Him. That's His heart, His vision for your life is an abundant life, drawing from the resources of heaven. How much you experience that abundant life though is up to you. So what are you thinking about? What's engaging your mind? Where, where, are your, where is your affection? And where is your attention drawn? How do you walk through suffering? Is it God get me out of this? Or God help me learn through this? And then how engaged are you in community? How engaged are you in loving others and being loved by others? I would love us to finish this morning beholding the glory of Jesus. And it's not through a perfectly executed song that the team's about to do and we're gonna sing along. It's not through a brilliant setup by me getting super passionate, inspiring you. But the way that we behold the glory of Jesus, let me remind you from a point I made a few minutes ago, we behold the glory of Jesus as the Spirit works. So would you stand with me? And would you pray with me we would witness the glory of Jesus through unveiled faces. 
It's the same God, the very same God that Moses could not look upon for fear of death. That same glorious God is the one who we can behold fully because Jesus has removed the veil. And so come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit and do what you love to do. Glorify Jesus in our presence. Glorify Jesus in our minds. Woo us, draw our affection and attention to the beauty and the majesty and the love and the grace and the glory of Jesus. God, as we suffer, help us to find joy in our relationship with You who suffered and transformed the world. And let us hear as we sing together the voices of each other. And let us behold the glory of Jesus in His body as we together sing and testify to the goodness of our Saviour. So come Holy Spirit, You do Your work. You do Your work right now in the Name of Jesus. Come Holy Spirit and glorify our Saviour, we pray. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.